0: Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's not easy making a living as a rock band in Canada. This is, after all, the second largest country in the world. A touring rock band becomes intimately acquainted with each and every one of the 7,604 kilometers of the Trans-Canada Highway. Nearly 10 million square kilometers spread out over six time zones. You do a little math and it works out to just over three people per square kilometer. It's a lot of room. And even though 77% of the population lives in cities, a rock band has to work very, very hard to reach out with their music. It's even harder when you consider that we live next door to the largest net exporter of popular culture in the universe. Geography has chewed up the domestic careers of countless bands, but some have got it figured out. They've got all the efficiencies worked out. The fan base is in place, and they've got the routine down pat. They may not be rich, but they are making a solid and respectable living as rock stars in Canada. Sloan is one of those bands. They've been around since 1991, and since they've become something of a Canadian institution, I thought it was time to ask them around for a chat about things. This is Sloan, in their own words, part two. This is the ongoing history of new music podcast with Alan Cross. Someone who
1: has to take the rest of my life You settle down Then I guess you got be lying to I'm gonna settle
0: down am I gonna be Someone who has to take the rest of my life. Chris Murphy and Jay Ferguson, with their guitars in my office, playing The Rest of My Life, which was from their 2003 album Action Packed. There's more of that kind of stuff coming up later in the show, too. Welcome again, I'm Ellen Cross, and uh, let me tell you what happened here. I asked Chris and Jay to come up and talk about themselves. Any band who has survived this long in this country with zero lineup changes has got to have some stories, and they do. On part one, Chris and Jay went through the first half of Sloan's career. We started with their beginnings on the East Coast and we stopped at their 1999 live album. So let's move forward from there. Here's Chris and Jay talking about where things were in the late 1990s.
1: There's three records in a row. like 98, Navy Blues, then a live record. And then we have a record called Between the Bridges. Comes right, out okay. in, in, but that was the one that totally yeah. tanked. Nobody even knows about that one. I mean, in terms of career, that was a real tank. So that was our fifth record, fifth studio record came out in 99, the live record was supposed to be like, hey, it's for fans, just sort of throw it out there, we won't really promote it. And then we put, very soon after that, we put out Between the Bridges, and of course, we probably should have promoted the live record more, because it was being returned, <laughs> as we were trying to ship the new one, so it really died. So, yeah, so we were kind of, even after one quarter. another, the Navy Blues did really well, we had a song on it called Money City Maniacs, which is still probably our most recognizable song. So that sold a lot of that record, and then the next record, if you know these things, like losing California is one of our songs, that was on the record between the bridges, but it wasn't a big success. A lot of people, again, I, I, I maintain that in cyberspace, the bigger the failure, the more these nerds they say, "Ah, that's my favorite." You know, it's so you know nobody knows about it, but I I, I know what I know. I understand what that is like. I need to point out that this Sorry. is in cyberspace. No, no, you know what? I'm a, I'm a nerd too. <laughs> I'm the king of the nerds. I invented it in the late '80s. Her cheek, Jason, follow
2: real.
0: So things didn't go very well for Sloan with the 1999 album Between the Bridges. Let's talk about that for a second. The title involves a bit of a geography lesson. Sloan is originally from Halifax, and there are two main bridges in the municipality. There's the McDonald and the McKay. Sloan's roots are thus between the bridges. Rolling Stone gave it a respectable three out of five stars, but the album didn't sell very well. Losing California was about the only bright spot from a singles point of view. But Sloan did as they always have. They kept moving forward. Album number six was released 25 months after Between the Bridges, October 16th, 2001, a month after 9-11, and a week before Apple released a new gadget that they called the iPod. The album was called Pretty Together. Here's Chris and Jay.
1: That was sort of a sort of a comeback record, I guess, in a way, because uh, the last one had been sort of had been pretty lukewarm. So 2001, we're on BMG in Canada, And we're doing all right. We had two videos that were, that did quite well, you know, the radio hits. Like, when It Feels feels Good, Do It came out, I kind of felt like we had been known, like I I was proud of how, like we are four songwriters and how diverse we can be and the the range that we have, but I felt like all the singles that we had, it, it just sort of made us look like we only had sort of one trick. And then when the other man, which was sort of like a slower... Slimeball adulterous song. That's right. I just wanted to find... That's my niche, I think. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it was enough of a musical change-up that we could uh, reach some housewives and little girls. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can just imagine
0: it. You know, Mom's playing it in the minivan, taking Little Dakota to ballet practice as she's watching Finding
1: Nemo in the back. Uh, That's fine by me. she's dreaming about... We're, you know, gr- we're grown-ups. You? But uh, the hardest thing was making a video for that and trying to be serious, and uh, man, looking at the camera, like, I felt like a total knob. But, uh, but I was happy that that we, were, that we had some, like, something that was outside of the sort of Money City Maniacs. And, and when I say this, I look like a, a, a Sour Grapes because Patrick had almost all of the singles which during that time, Feels Good, to Do It, Losing California, Money City Maniacs, Good and Everyone, like, these are all Patrick rockers in the key of B, that, uh, well, most of them, that, uh, that we did, <laughs> that kept us alive that whole time. Like, I gotta hand it to him I'm just. Thank I, God uh, for the key of B. Yeah, I love, and I love Patrick. But uh, but I was happy, it, it, this was a song that was a little bit different. Although, I think it was very, I, I think it was kind of un Like, it didn't have that kind of crazy drums. It was pretty straight ahead. And I think a lot of Sloan fans hated it. Sorry.
0: Sloan with the other man from the Pretty Together album. I cannot confirm this, but I have heard that this song is based on a real love triangle within the Canadian indie community. There's Chris Murphy of Sloan, there's Andrew Whiteman from Broken Social Scene, and in the middle, Leslie Feist. Okay, that's the internet rumor. Who knows if it's true. Now Sloan has made several efforts to break into the American market. After all, that's where the money is. The first attempt was with the Smeared album in 1992. They were signed to Nirvana's label at the height of the whole grunge thing, but eventually that whole thing fell apart largely due to some label politics, and they were dropped. But then came a deal with a label called The Enclave in the middle 1990s. But before anything could happen, that label went out of business. And in 2003, they tried again.
1: Yes, we never had any kind of Uh, You know, we were on 120 Minutes on MTV in the States, or we were on MTV like twice in our lives, maybe. Anyway, it's all very historical. And uh, so anybody who knows of us in the States still, or certainly after one chord to another, either knows us from, they were in college when Smeared came out and it was on Geffen, or they're just someone who keeps up with music, or they, they like pop music or rock music and they research these things on the internet or whatever. So we are a cult phenomenon in the States, which is, which is fun. And, but we make, we make our money in Canada because we have, we benefit from mainstream media and stuff like that. But it's definitely underground in the States and the further south you go, it's more and more underground. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For album number seven, Sloan decided to try something different. They recorded it in Los Angeles using producer Tim Rothrock, who has worked with people like uh, Elliot Smith and the Toadies and Badly Drawn Boy and a lot of other indie bands. The Sloan Sessions must have been a very good warm-up for Tim because one of the very next records he produced was Back to Bedlam for James Blunt. That's the record with the song You're Beautiful. Sold 12 million copies. Sloan? Eh, not quite that many. Great-sounding record, though. It was called Action Packed. It received an international release on a couple of different labels, but as usual, the big reaction was here at home. At this point, Sloan had been around for about a dozen years. Why not take advantage of their heritage and raise a little cash with a Greatest Hits record? Okay. So in May of 2005, they did. This was the time when the music industry started to notice that things were starting to crash, thanks to file sharing and the internet. Sloan, though, tried to get out in front by releasing a special edition of the album. It came with a DVD featuring videos of all the songs, plus interviews and other stuff, things that you wouldn't be able to download. They call this collection of singles A Sides Win playing off a title of a song called A Side Wins back on the one chord to another album. In addition to all the old favorites there were a couple of bonus tracks. Here's one of them. This is all used up. Sloan with a bonus track from their 2005 Greatest Hits collection called A Sides Win. Now, from the beginning, Sloan has had their own record label, Murder Records. That's at the root of every single Sloan release. But let's count all the other labels that have distributed Sloan stuff, shall we? Okay. Universal, DGC, The Enclave, March Records, Vic, Sony BMG, Koch. That's at least eight. For their 2006 album, there was yet another American distributor. This time it was Yep Rock Records, based out of a place called Haw River, North Carolina. Very indie-friendly label. On Sloan album number eight, there were 30, count them, 30 songs, over 76 minutes of music over two discs. Why would they do that? Here's Chris.
1: Our eighth record has 30 songs on it, and we didn't need 30 new songs in our set. Our set, was all, we are already choosing from about 100 songs, but uh, 30 new songs. We just thought, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of these uh, records that do well, I think, have a story attached to them. Anyway, it was a little bit of a hook, I guess. It was like the record with 30 songs on it. So, uh, and it did well for us. We got some good write-ups. But 14 of them are mine. It's like a solo record of mine hidden within a Sloan record. <laughs> Sloan,
0: with a single from their only double studio CD, Never Hear the End of It from 2006. Who Taught You to Live Like That, first single. Jay Ferguson wrote it, and it was his first single for the band since the Lions You Amend." Anyone remember the CBC TV series MVP? That was the one based on the British series called Footballers Wives, except it was set here in Canada with hockey players instead of Premier League footballers. Well, that was the theme song. And here's something that a lot of people don't know about the second single. Ill-Placed Trust, a song that Patrick Pentland wrote way, way back in the day—oh, 1981-ish—actually made an American record chart. It was one of Billboard magazine's minor charts, and it only reached number 48. But after slugging it out since 1991, you gotta take your victories where you can, right? Now, this is something worth mentioning. Every single member of Sloan writes songs, and every single member gets a chance to sing lead. There were not too many other bands like that with this kind of uber democratic structure. But you just gotta know there's all kinds of competition between the guys. I mean, isn't there?
1: Well, as I say, I was playing down my bile, but like by the time Patrick had about five or six singles in a row, I was like, I had had it. So part of my story about the other man, I was really happy to have a stylistically different song. I was also happy to have one of my songs. Mm. But, but as I say, we split the money equally. So the only thing would be ego because it doesn't matter. We, we're not we're not like it has to be my song so I can make the money um, you know so many great bands well that's what tears them apart because all of a sudden
0: you know the singer the uh, the guitarist decides that no he wants 33 uh, percent versus his
1: former 25 percent the, the poor Smiths destroyed them that's true
0: That snaps us all the way back to the first album, Smeared, in 1992. That was the follow up to the single, Underwhelmed. Okay, we're almost caught up with Sloan. And when we come back, Chris and Jay will talk about their 2008 album, Parallel Play. And then they just busted out the guitars again in my office. Don't go anywhere. With the exception of the double record, Never Hear the End of It, and the live album, Four Nights at the Palais Royale, Sloan albums tend to be short and sweet. A long Sloan record is 45 minutes but the average is somewhere around the, well, high 30s. Their ninth studio record was their shortest, at just over 37 minutes. They called it Parallel Play. Here's Chris Murphy and Jay Ferguson.
1: Well, Parallel Play, I'll start you with the title, is a reference to a child psychology, it's a child psychology term about children between one and three that play beside each other, but they don't interact. So it's sort of a joke on the way that the band sort of... uh, maybe behaves either on stage or off. I mean,
2: everybody, like I said, sings and writes in the band. And often, sometimes, there'll be, like Andrew, for example, will probably play all the instruments on his own songs. So anyway, they're kind of solo songs. But that's kind of the way we've worked for a long time. But I think it's a good term, and it kind of applies to this record, because we had to make it kind of quick. And so everybody just, well, I know how to play the guitar on my own song. I'll just do it. So there's not a lot of, uh, I mean, you know, there is collaboration to a point, but I think the, the title is
1: pretty apt. But yeah, regulation, back to 12 songs, mostly just because...
2: 13 songs, yeah.
1: 13, yeah. Because, uh, you know what I mean, we could have spent more time. Last time we wanted to have a record out at a certain time and then just because of some stuff that was going on, we had to push it back and then we just kept recording and we just decided to put it all out. I've been threatening to do a double album since 1998. I consider Navy Blues and Between the Bridges almost a double album because they were done close together at the same place and I only wrote one new song for this new record. It was as if it was a double record to me. It'll be reissued as a double record. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so we are back to our sort of egalitarian, like everybody sort of had four songs that they were working on and we, at some point we decided we are it was sort of decided we were running out of time and money and we just, oh, we'll make it three each, 12 song record, but Andrew, Andrew wouldn't, He's like, I'm doing four, I don't care what you get. Even though the record was mastered, He's still mixing his songs like, no, wait for me. And even though we could have sent it off and met our deadlines, he's like, nope. No, I'm just kidding. Well, it's true. (laughs) But, uh, But I'm not angry about it. And we're just learning how to play it now. And I like it. We'll yeah, imagine that
2: for our last album, 30 songs. It was like, well, we gotta go on tour, boys. I gotta
1: learn 30 songs. But we tried to Five. learn. We learned, we were pl- routinely playing 22 or something. Yeah, was, no, new songs. Good. No,
2: we were able to do it. But he you're was, right, it's like, most bands know how to play the record and then they go make the record. Mm-hmm. But we're opposite. Like, I basically have to go buy the record to learn how to play <laughs> the album. <laughs> go home and listen to it.
1: But ever since Andrew, we, we grew up in Halifax and Andrew moved to Toronto in 1993. So ever since then, it's been sort of like that, we sort of got to the point where we encouraged everyone to, to sing and write and contribute creatively and uh, to keep the band together, split the money equally, another good thing to do. So we've all kind of evolved into this band that writes sort of individually. There's a bit of, like, Jay and I will play each other our demos and, and talk about it and stuff.
2: We have our own practice space that we recorded our last album, Never Hear the End of It, mm. The 30 Song. Opus, and the new one, Parallel Play, we recorded them at our rehearsal studio, yeah. So we See, have our own studio. Compare that
0: to the $120,000 on the second album, right? Well, well yeah, this, that's is, ridiculous, this is the yes. thing,
1: yeah. Well, is where, yeah, I wouldn't have spent that much money at the time, but it was someone else's money. It's one of those major label things. The first record we made, which was on Geffen, we made with the aspirations of trying to make a 1,000 CDs or, something, or 500, mm-hmm. and then we, it got picked up and remixed by Geffen. So, you know, that cost us $1,200. I like to make everything on the cheap so that it can be seen as a success. Well, how many records did it sell? Well, how much did it cost? Because, you know, we only sold X amount of records, but it, we made it for nothing. But uh, not, not not so little money that it's not good. Mm. Yeah. How boring. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sloan with Believe in Me, the first single from their 2008 album, Parallel Play. So, Sloan's been around since 1991. Nine studio albums, the live record, the greatest hits collection, the videos, the DVDs, the rarities, the bonus tracks, the tours. Now what? Here's Chris Murphy.
1: Well, our plans are to, uh, to keep working. You know, sometimes, I remember in 1999, it felt like we hadn't gone up like we're playing the same places across canada like we sort of going up a little bit and then we were playing the same places and i was frustrated i was like how come we're not getting any bigger we're better than all these crap ass bands and uh, and we weren't getting any bigger but but then i sort of changed my tune to oh well at least we at least we're still playing to anybody because a lot of the bands that we started with you know we were given a major leg up by signing to geffen and we had a lot of press in halifax and seattle and all that baloney like it was that whole story basically belonged to us. There were a lot of bands that maybe benefited from it, but they really, they always got saddled basically by, by being little buddies of ours. And uh, so we, we've been very fortunate. And so we're happy to just be still a band and still playing and no one's really screwed up. and and. Uh, we're built to last we'll last forever. Why wouldn't we, we just record it on our practice space? Come back, talk to you, provided you, nothing happens to you, we'll be back here in 10 years. <laughs> I got no place to go. Just to have a, an enormous body of work so that Mojo magazine finally goes, we are sorry. We never wrote about <laughs> you guys, and you guys are unbelievable, and you have all this stuff and nobody knows. But Mojo Magazine, or Record Collector Magazine, exactly yeah. the publications that would do something like that, especially if you collected everything in a box set. Now you're talking.
2: We'll get to work on that.
1: You know what? If we had a huge hit, I have great ideas for repackaging and reissuing everything. But until then, I don't know if it's worth, like uh, the audience I think would be too small to, to warrant a ridiculous box set and coffee table book but i have enough i we we have everything and we own everything and we're ready to go on that
0: well thank you guys for coming i really appreciate it i know that we're <laughs> going to hear something from the new record yes we're play
1: something live here yes. yeah and uh what's the song called we're going to do a song called living the dream and it's a song that patrick says he can't even say the word out loud because he thinks it's something that jocks say he says you might as well have called the song hurtin' Unit. <laughs> <laughs> But who, I don't think jocks say it. So who, who And wrote, I hate jocks. Who wrote this? I did. Okay, so you're going to play your song. Well, Jay's going to, we're going to play it together. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, I appreciate you coming. Good luck with the new Thanks record. Thanks for the two and everything. Thanks for coming by, and uh, we'll do this again sometime. Making yep. history so that we can report on it. <laughs> Jay, would you play along with me while I sing a song called Living the Dream? I would love to. Okay, well, let's do it. It me. me, tell me.
0: Like I said about an hour ago, Sloan's story is pretty remarkable. A Canadian band who has worked mainly as a domestic act since 1991, running their own label, working deals with other bigger labels to distribute their stuff, and surviving everything the music business has thrown at them with zero lineup changes. Wow, that deserves some serious respect. Thanks to Chris Murphy and Jay Ferguson for taking the time to talk about themselves, which in typical Canadian fashion is something we really find hard to do. Like I said, Natalia helps up with a ton of stuff, and Rob Johnston is in charge of technical production. We will talk to you later. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you
2: find your favorite podcasts.